Stu here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today, I'm very pleased to be talking to Stevie Martin. Now, I've mentioned this one on the last few uh, things I've sent out, mail shots and podcast post ambles and all the rest, because I'm so excited about it. It's so great. She is a really, really driven, creative person. And I think also part of the reason I warmed to her so much is I recognise so much of her neuroses and anxiety about her work and her success and all the rest of it in not just myself, but in all of us, right? So this is about to be the brilliant Stevie Martin. There are probably something like 40 minutes worth of extra stuff available uh, from this interview at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders or on your private feed if you're already in the gang, which you can join for as little as £2 a month or as much as as much as you want. Uh, everyone gets the same stuff, including all the extra content there ever has been, the self-help for comedians special with Amanda Donnett and also access to the Slack workspace if that sort of thing floats your boat. But let's get back to this. Uh, she's been funny for a long time and you will hear me say to her almost as an opening gambit, why didn't I know you were this funny? We'll talk about her online stuff, her brilliant online videos and uh, Twitter stuff. Uh, We will talk about the time and the prep that goes into her work, which is incredible. It's very satisfying to hear that a minute and 30 seconds worth of her online content, which contains something like 150 jokes in it, actually took ages to make. So we'll hear all about that. And we'll hear about her feelings about being a proper comedian and talk about her former sketch outfit massive dad and indeed whether the a slightly clumsy question from me got a fantastic insightful response from stevie to do with whether the chink in their armor was arguably the armor itself so all of that to come this is stevie martin Stevie, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. It's absolutely, I'm thrilled. And also I genuinely, for the first time now, feel like I can call myself a comedian. I'm not even joking. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Um, Some people sometimes say that and it makes me feel very proud. And also the problem is once you've been on the show, you won't respect me anymore. That's what happens. Good, good. (laughs) Yes, can't wait. (laughs) So... Um, here's a thing. I asked for questions. Uh, there's t- two observations before we start. One, I asked for questions for you from the Facebook group. And all of the questions were, I've got no question. I just love her. Like, That's very huge, nice. Huge amount of, like, you're one of those people, I think, who inspires people to really champion your stuff. 
Oh, that's brilliant. Because you don't really hear what people are saying in, well, specifically in your Facebook group. Um, yeah. So I don't, you just sort of, and I very much fill in the gaps and I'm obviously filling in the gaps being like, oh, everyone hates me. I'm a shit. Um, so that's very kind and nice. I don't really know why that would be. but um, and, and do you, well, let's just, let's start there. Do you get a sense of... Um, do you get to hear how people feel about you? Do you avoid all the comments because you're you're pretty prodigiously out there on social media? I am very so much do out you there. do you read comments, YouTube videos? You've had stuff go viral. Do you avoid all of it, or do you kind of get? It? I mean, I'm asking you about your podcast now because you have a podcast about social media. But let's just do that for a minute. Yes. Like in terms of how much feedback do you get from the stuff you're putting out? I actually, weirdly, I think I do get a lot of feedback, and I do read everything so I'm not one of those people I, w- I wish I could be one, be one of those people who says things like you know I don't re- read reviews and you're like no I absolutely do um mm-hmm. and I do go on the podcast uh, that I have I've got a podcast called Nobody Panic and that's been going for a long time and I do go on the little reviews and whenever this, there was one the other day that was like the title was chill out Stevie and I was like oh my god <laughs> and it was like Stevie I've, I love the podcast but I've noticed Stevie's been being very mean to her co-host Tessa recently and I was like what and then I like messaged Tessa being like I'm so sorry Dave but she was like no uh, I've not noticed it so you're fine I think it was because we had Ed Gamble on and we, we both sort of ganged up on her because it was about bad restaurant guests and she does all of okay. the things wrong that's fine but so I do but I also what I'm very I get very frustrated about is that um especially Especially with comedy, the other reviews I kind of tend to just be able to. Because I used to be a journalist, and you get a lot of edits, and you get told that's not funny. This is doesn't make any sense all the time, and you learn to be like, okay, fine, this is the job, it's fine. And I still haven't learned how to do that with comedy. So reviews break my heart more than I've ever known. And when people like have comments that are anything other than that was the best thing I've ever seen, I'm like, please no. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of like learning how to do that. With YouTube, thankfully, people have just been very nice about my online sketches that I've done. Um, and I only get down if like they don't do very well. I'm like, no, you're all, but I've started to switch now that I'm not like, that's because the sketch was rubbish. And now I'm like, oh, you just don't know what's good. And that's quite good because that means <laughs> that makes me feel very powerful and confident. Um, so yeah. Is, is there also an element of, recognizing when a sketch sort of in inverted commas does well or not or does well enough is there an element by which you kind of recognize the algorithm as your enemy or your friend or a fickle friend whereby you sort of think does stuff does do likes and views and shares represent a decent metric of quality no or is that stuff out of your hands oh it's out of your hands because basically what i figured out is there has to be on like within the first day, essentially, there has to be when you've released something, a certain amount of people who have like over a million followers to retweet it. And if that doesn't happen, or not not over a million, maybe like, but just basically a, a good old watch. And yeah. if that doesn't happen, um, it won't happen because the the algorithm seems to kind of favor things that do well quickly. You, it's very rare, and I've never, well, and I'm sure it does happen, but it's very rare for me that something will do sort of fine and then gain steam. It basically comes out the gate massive or it doesn't really do very much. And it's a very strange feeling because there's been a couple of ones that I've done that are my favourite um, and they've done fine. Um, I always say fine for me is like, I don't know, if it's, if it's got like 100,000 or above, I'm like, great, on Twitter. If it's got yeah. like more than 
1,000 on YouTube, I'm like, absolutely smashing it. So it's, it's different depending on what the... And those, do you mean views or likes? So views, yeah. yeah and okay. uh, yeah, I've not really looked at likes and stuff because I just look at the views because I just, I think that's like the thing that, um, that gets, that shows me the results better because that's not really a sentence. But it, so for example, I put like a coffee link underneath and the views will equal how much money I get basically or how much people have just seen it. And you kind of, you know, um, but... Yeah, so so when that doesn't happen with something after like 12, 24 hours, I'm like, okay, well, that, that was not going to do, it's not going to get millions, but like, okay. I'm very proud of it, you know, still. Um, yeah, it, but it is strange because you are reliant so much on um, just random people specifically t- retweeting it. And if they don't, that's fine. But you, it's weird to, it's not about, essentially, no, it isn't about the quality of the thing. It has to be, I think, good. Otherwise, no one would like to watch it. But that good is a very big spectrum, isn't it? You can be quite mm. good or incredibly good and it doesn't matter. So yeah, it, and it's been it's taken a long time to kind of separate that and not be like, oh no, because for, for ages I was putting sketches out and no one was watching them. <laughs> so it's only since last November that that people have been, that a, a lot of people have been watching them. Yeah. So I came to you via, I mean, initially... Uh, massive dad yes and then which is your sketch group which is still does massive dad still exist or is it no paused or stopped no it stopped so we stopped sort of in like 2017 maybe and we we just did our own kind of um separate we still did bits and bobs but we 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 don't we haven't gigged and stuff we're we're all still friends and I, i do the podcast with tessa and i am very close friends with liz as well and like yeah, we just decided it just, you know, it, it, we didn't want to be in a sketch group anymore. We wanted to do our own stuff. And yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I wasn't sure what you were, like I knew you as a massive dad person. And then I, and I had met you previously as a reviewer. And I knew that you were doing stuff. I would, increasingly, you would pop up in my, my various feeds. Um, and then you were on, you were on <laughs> Twitch as well, because you are, you're all over the place. And I would go, Oh, Stevie's doing lots of stuff. And it was only really very recently that I started kind of checking through your back catalogue, as it were. And holy shit, you are so, so funny. And it's one of those things where I kind of, I end up reflecting on, God, how fucked is the, the, not the industry, but like the current model whereby I'm only just finding that out. Because if you look at your, <laughs> like I was looking back at some, um, some massive dad sketches, you know, the women who are, uh, lawyers, like high flying lawyers who keep falling into commercial, you know, advertising cliches or trying to yes. split the bill, like really high production value sketches that I guess were made about five years ago or so. Um, and then yeah. seeing your, like from those, having got to those via seeing your shorter sketches on YouTube and on Twitter, which are just the editing is so, so sharp. And you are just, you're doing almost like that Auntie Donna thing of the edit, like deliberately getting out halfway through the joke, halfway through the punchline. I love well, Auntie Donna. yeah, I mean, you know, that they, they are, <laughs> and they, I guess, like you are people who have maybe not been created within the internet, but have always had one eye on the fact that people are engaging with it differently. You are not someone, I guess, and maybe you are, and we can talk about this, but it doesn't seem like you started off doing regular sketches and thought, God, I better get on the internet, so much as someone who is just kind of, who lives within it. So um, I will stop love bombing you in a second, but I was properly, properly, there are so many like shout laugh moments in your videos. um, And I really, not only was I thinking, oh, great, can't wait for this, but also... I did find myself thinking that is like the classic 
problem of any art is it's bloody it's about distribution isn't it because it must be so yeah. frustrating to be being really and I I mean I hope I feel this myself I hope I haven't felt this frustration for so long that I've given up but to be thinking this is brilliant this is really really funny how can I fucking tell people about it because I for one should have known that you were this funny for a few years by now rather than comparatively <laughs> Well, I spent a lot of money at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival trying to tell people. Yeah, well, um, uh, no, well, yes, and does that work compared to actually making content no. every day and releasing it? No, it does not. For me, no, it does not. I think the, um, well, for a start, I don't have that where I go, God, I'm so <laughs> I just can't get the distribution. I don't really feel that. But I, I very much am just constant. And so very constantly, I think I rely too much on outside uh, thing a praise in a way which I think we all do to a, to a certain extent but I so I did Edinburgh my solo show in 2018 and it was just I just did like I just did jokes so I did like it was just like there was no through line there was no anything I just basically put a joke every 10 seconds and tried and just thought well this will be because I, I just like jokes like I just like stupid silly jokes um, and and the sillier the better like the most ridiculous the better and the more surreal you know I love it that's not really what people wanted. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a lovely time doing the show. And now I look back, I go, that show was actually really fun. You get a good old, you, honestly, I think everybody would, would laugh at least three times. There's so many jokes in there. But because it wasn't, you know, I didn't have a story. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have, I, I didn't really show me. No one really knew what my accent really mm-hmm. was. <laughs> like, I don't, and then, so then it didn't, it didn't do great. And then it was like, Okay, but I didn't do great. I mean, I got a lovely audience, but it didn't, um, you know, it didn't. Uh, what what does that mean, actually? <laughs> yeah, it, it was really good. Loads of people laughed. I had a great time, but I wasn't <laughs> catapulted to immediate success. Therefore, That's it was a failure. Exactly. Yeah. Therefore, it was a failure. But also, as well, like, it didn't critically do particularly well. People were kind of, I got, had, I had some absolutely shocking r- reviews where it was like, but who is she? Where's her honesty? And I was like, oh, shut up. I don't know. I just want to make you laugh. Did you laugh? No. So you didn't like it either. Fine. I, mean, I, I basically couldn't tell whether I was any good or not, like, at all. And I just felt very insecure and very like, oh, I shouldn't have done this. This was a terrible, terrible mistake. And then I signed with Avalon, who were like, you got to, you should go back. And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck. Um, but then I also wanted, I love Edinburgh. So I want, sorry, I'm talking about something completely different now that what you asked me, but it is sort of related. And then I did Edinburgh again in a second year. And I love that show. And I'm doing it again. Oh, this is hot I content. I love that show. Yes, I felt really proud of it because it was like a full show with an ending, loads of jokes, and it had a point. And but it wasn't like here's my story. It was just silly, and there's a bit with clams in it. Like it's just mad. But I, I had like the madness in it. But I was like really excited, and I was really like, you know what? This is actually quite me. Like I feel like quite proud to. Uh, and then it didn't do anything. <laughs> no one, no industry came to see it at all. Couldn't even get like a casting director, and it was an absolute. Uh, nightmare I loved it and then did a so and loved that couldn't get anyone in to review it couldn't get it was so and I felt like I'm shouting into this abyss I spent 12 grand on like publicity and all of the stuff nothing and then I was like I this I'm not doing this again like I don't want to do this this is not working I didn't get any jobs from it or anything also people still don't seem to know that I'm a comedian <laughs> I'm like out there being like oh please look at my joke um so I thought I'm going to have to do online. And it kind of was a bit mm. of that. It was a bit like, oh, I'm going to have to do online. And I think when you're like 21 and you're like, just, you just bleed TikTok, it's fine. But at that point I was 30 and I'm like, I, I feel weird learning all the, I don't know how to edit. I don't know. 
I'm more of a writer. So I could do tweets and a tweet will go viral because I've written it, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it basically. So then I, we did like me and my friend Lola, who's just brilliant. I wrote some sketches. We came around, we filmed them. I spent like seven days editing them because I was so slow and bad. And then they did nothing. And then I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to do at least two every month in the year of 2020. And then obviously the pandemic happened. It was like, well, I've got, got literally nothing else to do. So then, and we kept going, we kept going, kept going. And then in November, it did one, one just did in, just insane. They got like 6 million views or something. And then from then on, everything just started to get more. And I started to feel like, oh, I would go and do like a, you know, a social media advert for Farrow and Ball, say. And the director would be like, oh, I know you from the sketch. I've seen your sketch. And I'd be like, oh, great. And that's never happened to me in comedy, ever. Like in journalism, when I was a journalist, I worked really hard and then that stuff would happen and I'd get good jobs. And in comedy, I felt like I worked really hard and I would actually be worse off than I was when I started. (laughs) I don't understand what's going on. Um, So I think, and there's also, there's a a model that's unhelpful, I think, in Edinburgh, which it's very helpful for a select group of people where it's like the newcomer thing is huge and we know basically the newcomers who are going to get the newcomers because you, you can't move for them and it's great and they're really and they're good and they're exciting but then and then next year it's like then it's the next newcomer it's like well, what about them newcomers that you just had like do you want to have a look at them again no well, fine and 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 it seems to be very, the edinburgh model seems to be quite um narrow and it's not as free and experimental as I think I thought it would be I thought I'd go and do this fun silly show and it didn't really matter if it didn't do do anything because I just it was fun but then it actually did matter and it meant that you know I wasn't moving anywhere and I wasn't doing anything so yeah the, the the sketches have really helped because I think they've meant that they've kept me in people's minds a bit or in your case they've shown me to your mind which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be shown to people's minds a bit but um but then it's it's about trying to figure out what I want to do. And I think it's just, I just want to do jokes. I just love jokes and stupid jokes. And I've, I get so much joy from thinking of something completely mad and, and just having a good time. I'm still going to do live stuff. I'm going to do Edinburgh again, I think. But I think it's going to be, I feel like it's a completely different thing now because I don't, I'm not going there being like, I need this. Like, I need you to, I need Chortle to come and see it. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to do it so that I can do a fun show. And I think I might be able to get, I might be able to get people to come and see it a bit more than I could before because of the sketches, hopefully. And if not, I'll have a breakdown again, mate. That's fine. So this is Stevie. It's a joy, just a joy to be talking to someone who is so hardworking, so driven, so expressive and so honest as well, because you really, I feel like I've caught Stevie at a particularly interesting time in her career where it's kind of my favourite time in someone's career to interview someone where they have put loads and loads of work in for years and years. They know who they are. And yet there still is this sense that they're kind of breaking through and discovering what they do best. So I'm enormously grateful to to Stevie for coming on and, and sharing all of this with us and just being so honest about all of the things she thinks and fears and the moves she makes and there's loads more to come so go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for another 40 minutes 
We will talk to her about her murky past as an Edinburgh Fringe reviewer, and we may even find out the name of a comedian who was cross with her, who is a brilliant comedian, a dear friend of mine, and also, apparently, according to this story, a terrible person. She's also going to share some surprising insights about what works on Twitter and why, and that's something top secret unless you're on the mailing list, because that was really funny. Um, And we're going to learn about some of the inside editorial secrets of content creators that she worked with and for in the past, in that murky, murky past. So comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for all of that and much, much more, including the insider Zoom Q&As with James Acaster, Nish Kumar, Fern Brady, uh, Alfie Brown, and of course, the self-help for comedians special with Amanda Donnett. All of that for just £2 a month or as much as you want. Um, I've got a couple of live bits and bobs coming up soon. By the time you hear this, I think they'll... Oh, I tell you what I can advertise is I'm doing a, a preview in Leicester with Catherine Bohart. Uh, uh, Catherine Bohart of Gigless and You'll Do and Mash Report and loads of other stuff and just kind of constantly... Be, and ComCom. I mean, she's fantastic on this podcast. And I'm very pleased to report that we are doing a work-in-progress show together Wednesday the 21st of July at the Firebug in Leicester. That is uh, myself and Catherine Bohart, not Bogart, as the autocorrect on my Gmail calendar tells me. Both of us doing work in progresses. Works in progresses. So get along to those. Um, You can find those by typing the relevant words into Google. That's all for now. Let's get back to the fantastic Stevie Martin. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Even just the name, hot content, for me, feels like oh, you found what it is you do. You found your voice as a, as a person because you are pretty uh, internet-y in the sense of even even the stuff that you're, that you're doing, like some of your solo stuff on Twitter that I've seen over the last year or so, is stuff like visiting any website or dealing with your printer. It's like you're kind of, it's almost like it's, it's in step with the fact you used to be a journalist. I guess the audience is young-ish professionals who are kind of like, oh, yeah, like that. Was it which one was it that went mad? Was it trying to get paid as a freelancer? Well, actually, that was the first one that did Be- well, yeah. And then the one that went completely mad was the one that was the uh, capture thing where um, I'm trying to... Oh, the robot. To- Prove you're not a robot. Yeah, if you're a robot, yeah. And there's a man so, in the Thames. And I totally. So that. both of those, trying to get paid as a freelancer, that is your angle, right? That's your voice, I guess. Like, because you are, you're previously a journalist, you work in media, you're speaking to freelancers who work in media who are getting pissed off about not getting paid. You're, you're, you're specific to them, but the specificity makes it relatable to any, you know, any, anybody can understand what a pain in the ass that must be, even if they're not a freelancer. So, so yes. by kind of tunneling in and going, oh, what I am is a contemporary young woman who struggles with the internet and trying to get shit done, that speaks to your actual lived experience and also is the voice through which, do you see what I mean? Like you call it, you call something hot content. Yeah. I can look back now at that now and go, and again, it's an assumption is like, oh, that's when Stevie worked out who she was. No, it's a good assumption because it kind of was because it, it even though because it, the show is basically me being like I'm really great with social media, 
here's how you can be great too. And I'm clearly mm-hmm. not. And I'm clearly very Ill. Sure, 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 sure. But in <laughs> um, order to do those jokes, you need to riff on things that you, Stevie, actually understand. Have done because I used to work in social media. I used to work in branding and used to work in all that sort of stuff. And I and it's all about just how te- how messed up everything is. But it very light touch and just very silly. Um, but the yeah, that is kind. That's true. And you don't realize it when it's happening. But that was the problem. Like I want I wanted to do jokes, but I didn't know what to joke about. So I just joked about everything. And then you're like, well, then people are like, well, who are you? Like, I don't quite understand. I can't, I'm enjoying the fact that you've just, I don't know, thrown a, thrown some sand over yourself. That's great. But like, you know, when it drills down to it, what's this show about? (laughs) And it wasn't really about anything. And so then, then it was like, well, no, I do just naturally wanted to talk about social media and then naturally wanted to do sketches about that sort of thing. And I think it, that is true. It's it, I, it's a terrifying thing if your thing is that you're a contemporary young woman who's got a pulse on the got got a pulse on the internet. Um, then it's quite scary because you're like, yeah, now I'm 33. Like I've got, <laughs> I don't really like TikTok. So now I've got to like force myself into TikTok because like that's your thing, Stevie. You're a contemporary woman. Um, so I've got to. I'm always worried. I'm always like, oh, I, maybe that's not my thing. But but it. I think it sort of is. I think as I get older, it will just be about, well, now I'm older and it's even more confusing. <laughs> I hate it more. <laughs> so I think, yeah. And and that's why with the, the podcast that I did with Gina, my delete later, my sister, um, my thing was that I hate social media and she loves it. And that was that was that worked because it was like, yeah, I hate it, but I'm I'm so addicted to it. And I think that's something that the one thing we can all relate to really, and the, the, the kind of people that even the older people that maybe aren't really on social media. I try and make everything so that I explain it so that you can see the absurdity of it, even if you're not on Instagram or you're not on TikTok, because I think that's very important that you don't alienate people because I'm not 20 and there's not 20 year olds coming to see my show. Like, I mean, there are, but like, it's sort of millennial, very squarely millennial business. Yeah, that's that's interesting that there are, because I think you also occupy, because you're struggling with it, you're, it's relatable to much younger people as well. Yes, and the the podcast I do, Nobody Panic, it has got a much younger audience because it's basically like we're like some of your oldest sisters trying to help you do things. So we get a lot of graduates and a lot of people who are at uni and a lot of people, we had one who, one girl who was like 11 being like, can you do an episode about how to go to a school district? Oh my so God. So we did and it was the best. That's great. It was so cute. It was so great. Um, and so, so, but it's, but then we have like older, older people as well that kind of listen and, and just sort of, that uh, uh, the more like emotional kind of confidence ones that helps them and stuff. But so yeah, it, but, but then when I started doing comedy, I'd literally go out and I'd be like, God, Stevie, you've, you've sold out this, this, this work in progress preview. And the other comedian who'd be on would be like, how, what? And then you'd look out and it was all 22 year old <laughs> girls who were all like, when is she going to talk about her, her, the adult thing she's done this week? And you're like, no, I'm going to come out. I'm going to throw sand on my face. I'm going to scream at you. I'm going to talk about my asshole. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm really sorry. And they would be completely baffled and, and silent. <laughs> so it was a sort of double-edged sword. There. Yeah, that's a funny one, isn't it? Because so in terms of like you finding a way to do the goofy stuff that you want to do, like throwing sand and what have you. I mean, if you look back at the kind of massive dad sketches, it, it, I feel like you're the goofy one more than the others like you yes i would always be like guys come on let's throw things on ourselves they'd be like it's not really relevant here Steve. Like, Fair enough. <laughs> like i'd be buying ravens being like and then the ravens come out i was like well no cv doesn't work <laughs> like yeah okay fair enough actually no it doesn't. that's interesting that's interesting because i suppose i saw massive dad live years ago and um i remember i suppose i enjoyed it but i suppose i 
had that feeling when you see a bunch of people who are clearly actors as well. Mm. Like there, there is a sort yes. of uneasiness as a comic where you're like, oh, are you just doing? And I don't, I'm not leveling this at you, but this is the this is the sphere no. I'm talking about. Um, is when you go, oh, how much are you committing to stand up, and how much is it that you want to put it on your CV and use it to get acting jobs? Neither of which are bad things in and of That's themselves. Interesting. But I do wonder whether, um, because you are all pretty. And I know you're not all tall, Thank but you. you seem to be tall. <laughs> like you're all Liz. Liz is small, but but me but and me are, and Tessa I, are tall. And it's very yeah. different. I don't know if I I don't know if I can include this really because it's weird saying to you you are pretty. But do you know what I mean? Like you, you yeah, fine. are successful and sophisticated. And like most sketch groups, not all, but most sketch groups are kind of like a disaster. If I think of the sketch groups I'm most familiar with, they're sort of. I suppose there was an. There was a thing whereby, I guess, you guys and the pin, just to take gender out of it, they were very like, we're smart and our Ooh. audience wear chinos. Do you know what I mean? And like idiots of ants. They, I, <laughs> I guess so. there was sort of a kind of, almost like a kind of, the word elite isn't quite right, but there are there are people where you go, this is a bunch of kind of hobo, poetic, scruffy comics doing a thing. And yeah. then you sort of feel like, oh, um, successful, well-to-do, well-dressed people with stylists have muscled in. Do you see what I mean? Well, that yes, and I, I, I honestly think that hampered us. And it, and what was a shame was that wasn't the vibe. So, like, none of us were actors. We were all just like death. We all loved um, comedy, and then when we would do a gig, like. It'd be like a, it would be very much we we were really nerdy in the sense that we would turn up to your gig and we would be word perfect and we would require heavy tech we'd bring our own tech because <laughs> we were so anxious that it would go yeah. wrong and we didn't and we and we didn't have the confidence to be able to for example we went we did Pappy's gig really early on and I didn't know them very well and I was just we were all just completely blown away by them because we were just like. That's what we want to be. We all card. We got obsessed with Cardinal Burns because we did Cardinal Burns gig, and they came in from the back, sort of a bit late, still with their coats on for their set, and just took their coats off and then went on stage and did the set. And we just so we like we taking your coat off was like became this thing because it was like we just want to be able to take our coats <laughs> off. But we but we 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 would spend like five days beforehand learn lining learn lining and learn lining line learning and we had this thing where you can't bring your script on stage so there was one like work in progress we did where I didn't know my I had a monologue I didn't know it and I and I was like I need to bring my script on they were like no but we were like no we can't because that's unprofessional then I had to just pretend I knew what I was doing and then and, and then I remember doing my solo show and being like I can just go on stage in a preview just with a script people like it it shows the vibe it, it means that you're approachable and it means that when people when an audience are looking at someone on stage and i think about this all the time like they need to like you they they might not like you but they want you, they need to like to not like you you can't just come on and be essentially as well we didn't realize we were attractive we because we were just like 25 we were like we're gross <laughs> we just want to do comedy we're bad because we were very anxious and then it, it came across and it's very interesting to hear you say that because I think it did it came across like hello we've arrived and it's like no we, we had all this big stuff because we wanted to fit in and we wanted people to laugh but then the moment we stopped doing Massive Dad and I did my solo show, I realised how constrained we were by being like, we had to be perfect. Everything had to be, per our work in progress had to be perfect. 
and our previews had to be on point and we and if every joke didn't work they, they were gone and every joke had to work and we and every performance was exactly the same there was no d- jumping out and I remember my, my agent who wasn't my agent at the time came to see my first show and he and someone I had this joke where um at the end of the show all of the set collapsed and but unfortunately the room I was in meant that the door to the, the if an audience member wanted to go to the toilet the set and they came back in the set would just collapse on them so there was um a woman w- walked out and the the, 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 the the I didn't go to the toilet and then the set collapsed but then she started to walk back in and I had to like dive to save her and I, I was laughing so much and, it, and I chatted to her for a bit and then she went back down and Julian was like that's why I wanted to sign you because the bits in between he was like your show was really great but he was like, he was like it feels like you were quite you you were scripted you were doing it at us. You weren't doing it with us. And when you would, when you chatted to us, it was so fun. And I was like, and so then with my second show, it's still scripted, but it's like when stuff goes wrong, it, I'm more relaxed basically. Whereas with Massive Dad, you could not do like it's not that there was an overlord telling us it couldn't, but we just couldn't do it. And I feel sad for us when I look back. Cause I'm like, th- there were other sketch groups that have done really well, and we didn't really do very well in the end. We didn't really get anywhere. And I think it's because people didn't, people were a bit like, well, who are you? <laughs> I mean, like, what? All right, you're very, you're very, you think you're very full, full of yourself. And, and we, we, we weren't, we were just completely just smashing around, not knowing what we were doing and just very terrified. That is such a good answer. And with all apologies for my dubious question and the kind of potential, no, potentially sort of sexist implications of it being about that. It's not sexist. But, uh, it's not sexist because it's real. And that's what happens. Like someone, our director for our second show said, and I used it as a joke in my in my in my second solo show, and, and he came up afterwards and was like, "Was that me who said that? I'm sorry." And I was like, "No, it was great. I've just turned it into you being a sexist." But he said, "Because we used to wear full makeup, and we did this massive Lazy Girls show, which was Massive Dad, Lazy Susan, and Birthday Girls, and we were always just like, oh, Lazy Susan, Birthday Girls is so like loose, and cool.'" <laughs> and then like uh, Celeste, but in, in in Lazy Susan, we had this joke when Lazy Susan came on, being like basically a massive data models and it was like oh, jesus christ <laughs> no we're like trying to make like, but we had full makeup yeah. on and we looked like we'd been styled and our director was like you'd probably need to wear less makeup and, and we were like fuck off and then uh we continued continue to and then the moment i just relaxed and stopped wearing so much makeup on stage i felt more like myself so it was it was less about like you can't wear lipstick to be funny it was more just like chill yeah. out and then the audience will see you and not this woman who's just come on with contouring. Oh, that's such a good answer. Thank you. I'm really glad we kind of got into that because I think those words, rather than attractiveness, I think things like unapproachable. We said You said unapproachable or yes. perfect or um, uh, there was another one as well. But it's a long, it's kind of that sphere. And I think it, it is, um, it was a bit affronting. It was a bit like, oh, you've, you've accidentally, it seems, assumed high status. In, in front to the audience and we're like well well sure all right but just be funny but then the funny thing is looking at the sketches and it's really interesting you say that because looking at the massive dance sketches the production values are insane they look like clips yeah. from a professional tv show that was shot yesterday well we tried to get a show and we got greenlit and then the person left the classic story and then we didn't get the show um and that was our shot at getting a sketch show, basically. So we wanted to make it look like these people should have had a yeah, sketch show for, sure. for years. And um, 
I mean, it didn't work, so. <laughs> but it felt, but you know, it, it, it's nice. It, it's nice to have. Weirdly, it's just nice to have mm. them because I can look back and be like, oh, we, th- those sketches that we did live look so great, and like they've made them look. This this production only Monkey Kingdom made them look so great, and it's. And it's, it's, I feel sad sometimes when I think about Ma- Massive Dad. I don't know how the, how the girls feel about it, but like I think they're kind of fine. But I don't know actually. We haven't really talked about it, but I feel sad because I just feel like we had a lot of potential and, and I loved writing with them, and we wrote so many good jokes, and we all fitted together because like I like really silly stuff and I like writing jokes. Liz is so good at structure, and I'm so bad at structure. Um, and Tessa is such a great performer and would add these like little weird quirky things in that you would never think of because their brain works in a completely different ways to ours. And then together we would then be too anxious and then come across quite affronting. But the but the vibe behind the scenes, it was just so nice. And it was so like, I felt like we were good and that if we'd have just relaxed, it would have worked. But you know, you can't help that. And we're all doing our own thing. And I'm, I'm really happy to be doing solo stuff. Like I do actually really enjoy it, even though I, the anxiety is like everybody, I'm sure. But I just... I just feel like I'm shit all the time and it's very difficult to to come off stage and be like, normally there's two other people there going, no, actually that thing you did was actually really yeah. all right. Or the way you saved that line. But when I, I just hated doing the solo shows at Edinburgh because I'd come off and I'd be like, but there's no one to talk to. <laughs> and so I'd just go and eat noodles on my own and be like, because I didn't really have any like comedy comedian mates. So I'm just like, oh, I'll just go home. <laughs> so pathetic. Um, whereas now I've, I've now lent in a little bit and I do have comedy friends now so I can like go and chat to people about comedy which is nice because I was I was trans, trans, transitioning I was a journalist so I had loads of journalist mates who were like what's Edinburgh and I didn't really have any co- comedy friends because we were in a sketch group and we were very like insular and then now you just meet people and now it feels a little bit nicer. Do you think that anxiety to what extent does that anxiety steer your decisions over the whole of your career? <clears throat> I think it's it's my decisions are only steered by anxiety, I think. It's the anxiety of not... It's, so if I see... If I know I should do something, but I'm terrified of it, it's like, well, I've got to do it. I have to do it. And I won't be able to stop thinking about it until I've done it. And a lot of the people around me, my partner, and he's also a comedian, um, but he's very like... You know, he's been doing it for a long time and is very... He's so zen about it. And I'm not zen. So it's very helpful having someone who's completely just like it's fine. It is so fine. And then you go, no, it's not. And there's like, yep. Yeah. And also he's, he's a bit older. And so he, but he recognizes where I am, which is basically just do as I'm just so frightened. I'll do the wrong thing or I won't do enough. So, that, so then it comes off like I'm doing literally everything. And then, it, and then, and then it makes it, and then social media makes it look like it's all going well and great, but it isn't. <laughs> it's just like, I know that social media is like a CV and a portfolio and people look at it and you, you can't just be like, I think a lot of comedians do that thing well that where they'll be like, oh, this gig was shit or like this podcast I've set up hasn't done very well or whatever. I think that's fair enough. But I feel like I can't, I don't want to do that because people, an industry member might look at that and go, oh, she's, she does shit gigs. <laughs> so I make everything look really great, which then makes people go, ah, she's doing great. And it's not the case. And I think I, I, I want to just do, I'm so frightened that I won't, I won't 
do what I, I won't be a success that I just do. I end up doing too many things. I'm like, one of them will work. Come on, one of them will work. And then, and then it's, I sort of, you know, get burnout quite, I get burnout quite regularly. You have to put so much more of yourself into just the most casual thing, like Twitch, for example. Like I'm not, I don't really do Twitch anymore because it was like more of a lockdown thing. But it took so much effort to do a good Twitch show that looked like you hadn't put any effort in. <laughs> and that's the same with everything, isn't it? So people kind of go, oh, she's just sort of, you know, just doing all this stuff. She would just, I guess she just loves stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, no, she doesn't. <laughs> she would like one thing to do quite well. Everyone wants to do well, don't they? And then, and so if you're not doing well, so for example, after my second show, I felt really bereft because I was just like, what more do I need to do to be a good comedian, please? <laughs> and um, the answer is obviously the good comedian comes from within, not outside. Well, you know? well, I but think... No one gives a shit about I that. I think that specifically to that, I think that there is something about longevity. And it's really like, obviously you were there, you were, you had a presence at Edinburgh as a reviewer. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, then you had a presence at Edinburgh as part of a sketch group, but not one that, that then went on to become explosive. And then you had the kind of glittering solo career. And then you went mm-hmm. up as a solo and you did two hours. And that's only that, like, if you just take that solo, you as you, the item, you as you, the performer, I suppose it is so easy to get caught up in the dazzle of the awards and everything else and go, you can't expect to be like for someone to be, I don't mean you personally, but one can't expect to get picked up and hurled into, you know, carried shoulder high by the industry off the back of two shows. And on, only now not, no. that is, and you alluded to it before, that is how it seems to work because for a fated few that you can normally tell in advance, you can go, Oh, well, these are the, these are the uh, 15 or so 12 to 15. It'll be six of them or eight of them or what have you. And it always is. Yes. Um, plus one or two rank outsiders just to keep things fresh as if the Edinburgh comedy awards are anything other than just a person who set up some awards and they lasted and got funding. They don't represent Edinburgh. Yeah. They don't represent anything. They're just a kind of shared illusion that we, all participate in just just like the oscars i should yes. say just someone johnny Absolute, oscar set up the oscars <laughs> i don't know the i've not done in the reading yeah. but do you know what I mean any award is simply set up to to benefit the person who runs the awards ultimately yes to celebrate culture but mainly to employ the person who started them um <laughs> should we take that out god damn it no <laughs> i'm past caring <laughs> but um but you know, what it does rightly or wrongly and they're useful in lots of ways but they do reflect us back to ourselves and make us think that it is reasonable to go out to Edinburgh, spend 12 grand. You said on PR, I'm sure you meant PR and all production costs rather than just one incredible Absolutely. PR Absolutely, it wasn't just sniper. publicity. Um, but it's it, just, yeah, a plane that flew over with yeah, my name yeah. on it. That it, was makes it. It makes it seem... It makes it seem reasonable to suppose, well, because that is apparently yes. possible because we've seen it happen to one or two people. Oh, that's how it should work. And A, no, it doesn't. And B, what the hell does should mean in that sentence anyway? I think the problem with a lot of things is with this industry and with many industries is you don't, you don't get a quantifiable, quantitative, you, here's your stamp. You've actually done very well here. And so the awards gives you that illusion that that's, you know, we're all wanting to please our teachers and our parents. And that's like, come on, give me the stamp. Give me that. I did very well, badge, please. And there's not many of them. And so the awards represents that. So I can say I don't care about them because I don't. But then when you get there you and you see the people who have got the stamp, you're like, well, I'd love a stamp. Wouldn't it be nice to have a stamp, wouldn't it? But then, you know, that's, that's the kind of... I think if you have like a nine to five job, you get things like appraisals and you get like promotion and you get... 
that doesn't really work in this in this industry. So you you can get a job, but you can be like, oh, but the job was shit, or behind the scenes it was a bit of a nightmare, or I didn't really get paid on time, or at all, or whatever. And it's so you want to constantly be redrawing these boundaries as to what success means, while at the same time a voice in the back of your head is going like, but success comes from within. You're like, shut up. Like, no, it doesn't. Um, and, and I also really don't like how driven, how like every stand up, every comedian I'm friends with and talk to, we all have the same conversations. We're all, we all don't feel like we're successful enough or we feel like the success we've got is not the success we want. So I've got friends who are like in loads of stuff, but they're like, I'm typecast. I'm always this person. You're like, cool. I'd like to be that typecast, please. Give me a chance of being typecast. Um, or I, I just, I have loads of money, but it's through from adverts and I'm amazing at adverts. You're like, <clears throat> great. Again, if you don't have that, that's really exciting for somebody who doesn't. So you, everyone is looking at, it's just, so I'm no different. And it's just, yeah, it, it, but I, I'm aware that all I've talked about is like, I just want to be really successful and it's gross. No, it isn't. You haven't overemphasized <laughs> or prioritized that in the things you've said. And it is totally, well, should. <laughs> it's totally understandable. <laughs> so it is one of those things yes. where I do, um, uh, as someone who is, I guess, around 10 years older than you, I do recognize it. And in a deeply patronizing way, I'm like, oh man, I still sometimes feel like that. You have, to, it is inside yeah. of you and you do, like the good comedian isn't necessarily inside of you, but the rubber stamp is, and it's the only rubber stamp you're ever going to get. So part of the, <laughs> I guess, incre- what's becoming increasingly apparent is part of the remit of this podcast in a way I didn't plan was to rebroadcast that idea that you are good enough and everyone listening is good enough and we can't all be the best in, we can't all be the Picasso, um, but we can all enjoy the journey and it doesn't mean that you're a loser to think that even though it sounds like the sort of thing a loser would think. Do you know what I mean? Both of those things, both of those things have to coexist. Like the idea of you having had a very successful career in which you took risks, created stuff, developed and learned and yet at the same time you aren't currently playing arenas or whatever it is you want, you know, or starring in your own vehicle or what have you. Um, both of those things have to coexist because they will coexist for the rest of your career. Mm, yeah. And also Picasso was probably very unhappy. This is the thing as well. You, you know, we can only hope. Apparently he was a terrible man. <laughs> terrible, terrible man. So yeah, that, and that's, you know, you don't want to go like, oh, look, people are really successful. They're also having a shit time. You don't, you, you don't want anyone to have a shit time. But it, it does sort of prove that if you'd get a bit of success, that doesn't... You know, it doesn't I've even, and it's not the same thing, but like when a, when one of the sketches did inc- like ridiculous, two of the sketches have got like millions, it was like, oh, wow, it's happening. Oh my God. And then it was like, nothing happened. <laughs> I just got loads of penis pictures. Oh, in the oh no. And I got loads of Twitter followers. And, and then, and then now it's like, oh, cool. So Stevie's got loads of like, I've got like, I went from like 10,000 to like 65,000. It's like, great. This will this will do something, but what it means is is it it's like internationally the sketch did very well. So it got just basically my my audience is probably on average a forty seven year old man from Spain, which is not you can't really harness that in terms of a live show in London. So it's never what it looks like, and it never and even that made me see like okay, so, so after then when a sketch didn't do well, I wasn't as upset because it was like what doesn't matter because when it does do well doesn't really matter then yeah. either it's just nice so you kind of have to and hopefully that will happen you know in general with other things where you go oh, okay well this is quite nice but it doesn't matter if I don't get that like it's the journey isn't it and it's just it's the journey it's not the end point but I just need to figure out how to make Edinburgh fun in the journey because yeah. <laughs> I fucking hate it <laughs> um, but I want to love it so much because I used to love it so much when I wasn't doing solo stuff but that's that'll be 2020, 2022 will be me 
trying to love Edinburgh in the way that I know it deserves to be Great show title. (laughs) Yes, yes, actually, yes. Um, So let's talk about the, or you pick one, either the most viral one or your favourite, and let's talk about how it was created because you end up with such an incredible kind of, the edit is such a sort of feathering of like, joke, 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 joke. Like the punchlines are preposterously densely packed together and... And yes. really imaginative. And my guess, again, my my assumption is some of them are written and some of them you just leave the camera on and do loads of stuff and then work on it later or what? No, I never no. do that. So I basically, yeah, no, never. So I, there's basically what, they tend to follow the same kind of format in terms of what we do. There was, <clears throat> the first few we did, we, Lola, would, Lola came around and we basically, yeah, we, we, I listed shit loads of jokes and then we do all them. And then Lola's a really good improviser. So she would be like, oh, well, maybe this and this. Is. And then, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the ratio is, but then something would go into it. And it would be like five hours worth of material. And then it would go down to like a minute. <laughs> and that was mad. Um, when, you say, when you say five hours, do you mean five hours? I literally mean five hours. Yes. Incredible. I mean like one till five. And then, and then, and then it'd be like, oh my God. And then, because I'm very two and sometimes it doesn't so with massive dad it was always um a sort of a joke really that just before we'd do a show i'd be like i think we have to we'll have to cut this and this and this and this and they'd be like you stop cutting things because i just would like to i just wanted to edit and edit and edit until everything was gold like i don't want anything in there and same with edinburgh shows i don't really have anything maybe some jokes won't work one night but i don't have anything in there that hasn't worked so much that i think every comedian is the same but like i'm so rigorous about it and i'm so aware of any airtime or stage time where there's not a joke happening to the extent where probably to my um, I've had to force it. So it's like, no, they do need to hear a story, Stevie. You can't consistently just be doing jokes. Um, but I sort of think you can, but fine. Um, so what happens now, and what had then started to happen was, basically, I would, we'd, me and Lola would come up with something. So someone would be like, I don't know, isn't it like Hermes would fuck up my parcel again and I'd be like, I'm like right, I'm going to do a thing about this. And so I, 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 write, um, I write it. I'd write every single thing I could possibly think of to do with that, send it to Lola. Lola would add some stuff and then come back and then I would edit the script down and do another write and another write and maybe like, so maybe do like three or four goes of it until to me, it feels like it's going somewhere. It's not just an array of jokes. The, the weakest ones are where it's literally just joke. Like there needs to be some sort of thing, I think. Then, what do you um, mean by some sort of thing? Just on Sorry, that. yeah, good point actually. Um, You know, a thing. Um, Some sort of... um either an end joke that I feel like is worthy of you've watched this thing for two minutes, whether that is just me screaming or whether that's me falling over or whether that's like a callback or something. It just feels like the best ones have a a, a weirdly a tiny narrative in that like one minute and it goes somewhere. What's the one with the one? There's one where you kind of get up and scream and it cuts halfway through that. And I remember there was a YouTube (laughs) comment going, that moment alone is the best thing in in your (laughs) opera. Yes, that's the one where, yeah, um, Adam's spying on me behind with a pair of binoculars and I see him. Um, The, yes, there has to be something that I feel like if there's not a narrative arc in it, it has to be, it has to build in manic intensity. So it builds and by the end I'm screaming or shouting or it's gone, it's gone somewhere. And that's always the hardest bit, always, of course. Um, because, then, because why? To find a reason for that. Just to find a true. reason for that. Yeah. And also it's, I find it so much easier just to write jokes. And then when you have to kind of like mold it into a structure, it suddenly becomes like, 
Well, it's, it's, just, it's the hardest thing about sketches. How do you finish the sketch? And that's always been the case with all <laughs> everything. Just like, but yeah, but this is fun, but it's just going on. Like we've got to have a thing, and then it goes, and then because it's so satisfying when you watch a sketch and it, and it, or anything, a film. Uh, a, a TV series and you know the moment that, that that TV series is sort of just meandering and it's lost and it doesn't actually know where it's going and then you I just check out and I have to stop it's so brilliant when you know it knows where it's going I love that stuff in books as well and like everything oh, if anyone ever says to me you'd love this movie actually the end's not great I'm like I'm never going to watch it I'm out yeah, yeah. I'm out. There's nothing worse than finishing a book and the ending shit I hate that um, and also it, it's so hard to find a satisfying ending so I know even just with a one minute sketch it's really hard so that's always the bit that is the sticking point that sometimes it just comes really easily and you're like oh that's ha- that's why that has to go in that direction or like like with the one that did the first one that did very well and got you know six million views or whatever it's basically like the robot capture thing and at the end it turns out there's like a man holding up a sign um, for the for the numbers that you're trying to t- type in, and, you, and I've got to chase him. And I chase him, and I come back, and then it turns out there was actually another man, and we we had no idea who that man was. And so that, and for some reason, that just was very. I just knew that that was going to be the thing very very quickly. Others, I'd take ages. Um, and then we set up a Zoom, and then we do everything that's scripted, and then we'll do alternatives of everything so if there's so in case there's a funnier thing that comes up but we never do like hey let's just hang out and then we'll just capture the gold because i just don't have time for that shit (laughs) (laughs) and i think as well there's been quite a i think when it's done well it's the most brilliant thing to watch but i think when it's done i don't have the confidence i'd be able to do that well enough that it doesn't just then become oh what am i trying to say i think i see quite a lot of stuff um where i'll be like very lovely but where are your jokes mate like where's your jokes this is just a lovely you're just saying some stuff and i prefer things when there's jokes no i I don't mean like hey i was walking down the road the other day knock knock or whatever i just mean like there's been some thought put in there's a visual gag there's there's something that is we can cling on to as like haha that was the funny laugh bit not just like you're doing a fun accent and it is quite fun I think yeah. he's got his place, but I'm not good at accents and I can't do that stuff. So I, that's my strength. So yes. So then we go through and then basically then I edit it and the edit either is really easy and quick because all of the jokes on paperwork or it's a fucking nightmare because like with the website one, that did, what I'd written did not work. So when I put it, like edited it all, looked at it and was like, that's not funny. And then I had to make another sketch out of the edit bits but I hadn't really filmed anything else so that was a night and cut down and cut down and then change it round and then refilm something I think I spilled water on myself I, re- I filmed that about 10 million times my office was full of water tortoise sodden like and <laughs> and and then and but then weirdly I always would think oh if it took so long to do that that means that the sketch is not going to turn out very good because that means I've it's it's taken too much. It's it it's should, overwrought. It should, it's overdone. Yeah. yeah, overdone and over, overwrought. But that's not the case. It did really well. And you're like, oh right, okay. So actually, oh, you just have to work really hard for ages. Have to work Shit. very hard. Yeah. yeah. And I have a lot of friends who are actors who have kind of been like, you know, oh, how do you do that? Like, do you just do you just chat and you just, or they've done stuff and they've been like, well, my stuff isn't work. Like, because it takes so much more effort than I think it looks like it takes. Yeah, maybe sure. I don't know. Everything sort of does, but and it's been nice because. People do donate and I was really uncomfortable with putting a coffee link underneath it. And my sister, who's very good at that stuff, was like, you absolutely have to. How long did that take you? And it was like three days. And they were like, well, obviously put... And people started messaging me going, where can I donate? I really like this sketch. It made me laugh. So now if people... 
if the people want it, then fine. That makes me feel a bit better. But like now I'm a bit more comfortable with that because it is like, it does take time and it does take thought and it is work. And also you just, now we're in this world where like TikTok and stuff, you can just throw something out and then everyone kind of copies it. And that's the whole point. And it doesn't matter who did it first. And it's mm. kind of democratizing comedy, but then it's completely obliterating comedy at the same time. Cause it's like, well, no one's getting paid and no one actually, and that's the point now that no one's getting paid. It doesn't really matter who did it, who wrote it. And so people have been, there's like an Italian guy that did my sketch word for word, um, but on TikTok. And then that's happened quite a few times. And I basically have got everyone to take it down and I've been like following them and been like, can you, can you not? But then their, their responses are like, but that's, I've, I've just stitched it or whatever the TikTok term is. Like, I've just, that's what you do. And you're like, oh God, it is, isn't it? And I don't, I don't like that. So that's, that's, yeah, that's been a kind of a strange part of it, which you haven't asked me about, but I've just brought in. No, but that's fascinating. (laughs) I didn't know about that at all. That is a really like, oh, great. Fuckers will ruin anything, won't they? Yes. You finally find a thing which is your means of production, entirely your vision, entirely your work. And now you're vulnerable to, you haven't spent 12 grand on something that didn't explode in the way you wanted. But what you have done is created a thing that's good enough to steal and there's absolutely no redress. Yes, yeah, and it's actually encouraged to steal because that's what because TikTok is you know you put you someone nick, nicks an audio of something and you know do, re- redoes it and that's it's like a meme like that's basically the whole point of TikTok so this meme culture sort of I hope it doesn't but I can't see I can see I, I really can see it being a massive problem in terms of not live comedy but in terms of the online thing because it's yeah. like well there's no there's no need to do it. I'm <laughs> just imagining that advert. You wouldn't steal a premise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just to get just to stroke our chins for a bit on that. I'm really fascinated with where that is going and the fact that like memes, I think, are the pub jokes of today. Right. This is mm. my pet theory because pub jokes used are, are so perfect because they're they're sort of the the kind of the seas of retelling over and over again turn them into these perfect shiny pebbles that you go there we go that's perfect now because it's been done with every done by everyone and i feel the same about memes when someone gets precisely the right screen grab of Daenerys and thor both doing that kind of face do you know what i mean and uses that to go yeah. my wife and i telling each other we're tired and you just go there we go that is perfect it's been stolen and shaped and whatever the word is into the perfect version of itself but what the hell does that mean for ownership? What does it mean? Where is it going? What do you, like, when you say, I think we're on the same page about that being <clears throat> kind of excellent and terrifying. It's almost <laughs> like, oh, TikTok isn't just there to to kind of s- steal and manipulate everyone's data. It's also been designed to destroy comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I have an audience question for you, a listener question. This is from Ed Jollyboat. Do you know lovely Ed from Jollyboat? You know Jollyboat? No, I don't. Oh, I don't. They're, um, they're an incredible pirate dub. I've not had them on the show. I'll have them on the show. They're, um, they're an incredible... <laughs> Here's what they do. They do just a tangent here, a side note uh, to Jollyboat. They do uh, songs where they've changed the words and the theme is always pirates. And it oh. absolutely shouldn't work on paper and it absolutely destroys every time. And they've got an incredible fan base and a brilliant online community. Like it just doesn't make any that sense. That is a niche. But I love they are that. so warm and funny and it just shouldn't work. And it just tickles my brain that it's brilliant. Anyway, Ed from Jollyboat says, who do you work with and why? In Like in general? 
Um, what in terms of writing? Sorry, the terracotta stone. I, it's such a simple question. It's too simple, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so maybe in terms of writing or making stuff with. So I mean, writing. you've talked about some of the people that you have worked with, but maybe yes. open up just as an answer. Talk about the qualities of the people that you think kind of complement your qualities, or what do you look for yeah. in a collaborator? That sort of thing. Yes. Well, they have. So I. Yes, did collaborate with Liz and Tessa for a long time. And then um, once you've sort of been in a sketch group, it feels weird when you work with someone else because you're just like, but hang on, they're not. That's, you're not Tessa. Um, and it's actually quite nice because you... So I work with Lola quite a lot and I'm working with Lola at the moment. And I also work with... Um, I'm working with um, my friend, so his name's Kyle Smith-Bino and he's, he's like a comedy actor, brilliant guy. I always really... It sounds silly, but like... You'd, I want to say like, oh, it's it's the style of the comedy and the thing. But also it's it's so much about what they're like as people as well. Like, because it's so hard to collaborate. I naturally love doing it, but lots of people don't. And lots of people really struggle. And, it can, and it's really hard to find somebody that is completely your wavelength. And it tends to be that they are, you've got to be able to take criticism and give criticism and not ha- throw a Benny about it. <laughs> I think that's like crucial and when you find someone like that you literally just can't ever let them go obviously gonna be funny but like I never worked with Lola before in a comedy sense she's just she's I've seen her improvise she's brilliant and then we like we just laugh so much when we're having a drink and you're like that's actually enough and then when we started to do the sketches when she thought something isn't funny she feels completely and I think it's so important to be able to go I don't think that's funny and for me to be able to go okay Cool, yeah, yeah I'll take that. And that's what we did with, with Massive Dad very well, which I think when I've worked with other people and had to be like, I'm going to have to not, it's because you get like a monologue around why they think that joke may not quite work in this. And it's not that the joke sure. isn't funny. It's just that, and you're like, just say it's not funny. We, at yeah, this stage, yeah, yeah. we just need to say it's not funny. We're all adults here. Um, and, and what they're saying is not, you're not funny and we should all be able to know the difference. Um, and also separately to that, I work with people who, I work with people and it sounds mad, but all in terms of, I'm, when you're a creative person and you're not very, you're all over the place, you need people who are incredibly fucking on it. And so like Plosif produced my podcast, but also I would, I would let Ben Williams who, and, and Naomi Parnell produce my life. Like they are so efficient and I'm not efficient. I think you've got to be able to see what is you're deficient in and then go, I just need to fill that with somebody else, please. Like my tech, Jake, is just so good. And I, and he's so calm. And I'm not good and I'm not calm. And I, you, I need people around me who are calm, efficient, and just get their head down and do it and aren't like, oh, I'm, I was pissed last night. And like, I'm, or like, should we go? Like, I don't, you don't, I don't need to go to the pub with you. Like, although I would go, go, go to the pub with literally any of those people that I, I just mentioned and have done. But I don't need to, when it's in terms of getting a show together, not writing together, getting a show or getting, making something be commercially successful, you actually just need people who are very good rather than like your mates. And when I've worked with mates who are just like, yeah, it's like, ah, oh, not worked, not working. Um, anyway, yeah. Great answer. Thank you. Um, what is the sketch that you most wish you had written of someone else's? And, and simultaneously, what is the short Twitter type video of someone else's that you are, of which you are most jealous that you didn't make it? Oh, that's a really good question. 
is that oh so there's a big train sketch where and i'm trying to remember i mean there's so many of those that i wish i'd written incredible there's there's one where the i think it's um peg comes in and and it's basically like an an announce like it's and just a very boring work announcement, but they've mapped onto it. Can everyone stop masturbating? <laughs> no, no one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I find that. So, and then, then there's the other guy who's. Oh no! Oh no! No, the one where he there's the, the guy. There's a runner, and it's just the guy just can't open doors. He just doesn't know how to open doors. <laughs> and so there'll be like a wonderful sketch where you don't know where it's going. It's just like a really serious thing, and then and then he'll leave, and then you just can't get out the door. And it's like that is like my bag like I love that shit and I whenever I've been trying to like write sketches for shows and things like it's always like I just wish that they hadn't done that so I could pitch that because that's just so simple and it's so clearly funny um, and I like that very simple very clearly funny. you can just keep doing and it's just always funny whatever yeah. situation you, you put them in Twitter stuff I there's not one particular one that I'm like oh I wish I'd done that because I feel like I don't know but pretty much there are people that I'm like, God, everything that person does, I fucking... Like Alistair Beckett King, like everything he does, the production value is so intense and impressive. And it's the opposite of what we've been talking about. How like You've got to like, look, you've just got to make yourself look shit and look yeah. like you haven't put any effort in and that'll make it funny. And then he completely defies that rule because... Yeah. Well, he's because it's because he's not being himself in his videos. He's world building, and he he's builds world the building, world brilliantly. Yeah. yeah, and I love and I love his stuff because it. I could never do it, and I and I and I couldn't even attempt to. And so there's no comparison. It's just just like fuck me, that's good, and it's so funny, and he's so creative with the. And also, I find his, everything he tweets funny as well. So I think rather than a particular sketch, I just want to be him. Is that? Yeah, that's allowed. That's the answer. Yeah, I'm, okay, cool. I'm doing a gig with him next week and I'm terrified. So I'm just like, I love you. <laughs> it's really late. I'm so, it is so exciting to see Alistair kind of get the recognition he deserves and to a sort of, you know, this is me in avuncular mode now where I get to be professorial and go, oh, I remember gigging with him back in the day when he was a whippersnapper. And then you go, oh God, now I'm just addicted to everything you come up with. Yes, his his solo shows, his live shows are just brilliant. The well, I can imagine, I've never heard of him since, because well, I'm not very plugged into the industry. So that's not on him, that's on me. But like, since these sketches, now obviously I'm going to go and see all of his shows, like, of course. But it's, I feel annoyed that I haven't seen them before now. Like, it shouldn't have yeah. taken that for me to, you know, <laughs> go and see it. But like, I'm very excited, yes. Finally, mm-hmm. are you happy? Oh, Jesus. Um, Jesus makes me happy. <laughs> um, I think. So I think that being happy is like, I feel like being happy is one of those things that you're like, oh God, I'm happy. And then you're like, well, you can have a de- you have happy moments and you have enough of those happy moments and then you can be content. I think if someone was like, I'm happy all the time, you'd be like, are you okay? Are you well? <laughs> because you can't be happy all the time, surely. Unless you're- but I think I am, for the first time, I think I'm excited because I feel like I'm starting to find my rhythm in this industry that I have never found my rhythm in before and I feel like there's a possibility I'm not saying like success particularly I'm just I just feel like I might start to now know what I want to do in it and I've never I've just it so far it's just been like I just want to, people to laugh and like yes of course we all want that but now I'm like oh I think I I think I I'm enjoying myself and in, enjoying comedy more rather than just the anxiety being so 
outweighing any enjoyment I would get. Like, the enjoyment would only be when the show goes well, that lovely feeling of, of just being like, I just did a great show. That is great, but that can't be it. I have to, there has to be more that I enjoy about it. And now I think I'm starting to enjoy a little bit more. Yeah. So I suppose, yes, I'm potentially happy. <laughs> Thanks, Stevie. So that was Stevie. What a joy. What a joy. Um, once again, thank you to Stevie for being so uh, honest, so candid and just like it's just great to be let into someone else who is freaking about all the same things that either you freak out about yourself or that perhaps you once did and freak out about a bit less. So thanks to Stevie. You can follow her. All of the requisite things are in the show notes. Her Twitter handle is at 5TVM. <laughs> so 5TEVIEM. It didn't come up on this podcast, but when she was a guest on the Infinite Sofa, she did express a certain amount of regret that it's very hard to tell visually at a glance, for example, when your brilliant original content is watermarked and then stolen and placed on someone else's website, um, that it's not actually Stevie M, it's 5TVM. So go to at 5TVM or find her website and all the rest of that in the show notes. Um, she has two excellent podcasts, which you can delete, as, which you can delete because one of them is called Might Delete Later. Don't delete the podcast, subscribe to them. Um, that one and also the other one that she does, which we talked about, that's all in the show notes too. So thank you to Stevie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reviewing this show. If uh, if you've done that on iTunes recently, a couple of nice reviews popped up there. That's lovely. Thank you for subscribing to it in your hundreds. Thanks for sharing it with other people. And thank you, of course, to Nathan Wood for producing the show. Thank you to Jake Crossland for logging it. Thanks to Rob Smouton for the music and Peter Dobbing for nothing whatsoever but a lot of stuff in the past and probably lots more stuff in the future too. Oh, some crackers coming up. Queeve McDonald, Finn Taylor. Oh, and I've, listen, I'm going to break with tradition here, hoping that this doesn't hex everything, but I've got Jonathan Coulton booked. He's not officially booked. We're talking and he's agreed. We don't have a date yet. Um, if you don't know who Jonathan Coulton is, look him up on Spotify or online, or online ideally in some format in which he gets paid. But um, Spotify is good for discovering people because if you go to Jonathan Coulton's page on Spotify, you'll see at the top like his five most popular things and every single one is a blinder. It's like a sort of really funny, but also kind of like They Might Be Giants, but funnier, like really good. No, like Mountain Goats meets They Might Be Giants. Very much my wheelhouse and he's coming on the show. So check that out. I particularly recommend Re Your Brains and uh, Skull Crusher Mountain and All This Time and... The uh, he did the the song that Gladys sings at the end of the Portal computer game. This is getting very niche, but look, he's fantastic. So that's coming up soon too. I will post Amble at you in a second, but bye for now. Yeah, so here we go. Loads, uh, loads to talk about. The first thing, <laughs> there's so many things. They're all of similar importance. Let's just deal briefly with the. Um, the mail shot. Thanks if you're on the mailing list and uh, you received the latest uh, mail shot that I did a few days ago. Thank you very much if you replied to it, because loads of you replied to it and that created lots of fun admin for me. But it was fun admin, which is the point. Um, so th that's how I'll do them from now on. I gave you all the choice of, hey, would you like this in video form or as a written thing? And everyone said, everyone that that 100% of people who replied said um, that they preferred it written. So now I'm going to write one of them every couple of weeks. And that in itself is partly, like, I, I feel unafraid to make that commitment simply because for the LinkedIn stuff that I did, which you can find if you're a LinkedIn person by searching my name, Stuart Goldsmith, um, my identity on there is Stuart Goldsmith Brackets Comedy Insights, and click on 30 Days of Resilience on one of my posts. That's a hashtag there that'll show you all of the others. And 
Um, if you see those and if you notice them and if you like them, or even if you don't, the simple fact of having committed to knock out 30 things in 30 days slightly change the way I think about things. So now I am unafraid, for example, of saying, oh yeah, two weeks from now, I'm going to do it at the mail shop. I mean, that's a low bar, right? That's a pretty low bar for what you consider a commitment to be. But I don't think I could have honestly made that commitment previously. I'm quite into the idea of putting stuff out. Weirdly, as I mentioned in the mail shot, a lot of it is uh, not stand-up related at the moment because, and I, I went into it in the mail shot, I won't do it just here, but I've had some potentially exciting, some definitely exciting potential news. So um, there is uh, some Edinburgh business afoot and the nature of the Edinburgh business for me is to sort of cut and shut the best of my last two Edinburgh hours together, that's end of and then the work in progress primer, in order to put them into a single show that makes sense and has a through line and all that kind of stuff, um, but also crucially contains the best, most fun bits to do of both of those shows in order that I then do something with them. Mystery, mystery, pretty guessable, but let's not hex anything at this stage. So, uh, so that gives me a purpose and also... The- the concept well no just mostly a purpose because I think the reason I have been so busy doing anything apart from stand-up for the last year and a half is not simply because the stand-up circuit went pop but it's also because I let myself get excited about other things which is fine but it's also because I hadn't realized until I got something important to work towards in the diary how rudderless I'd felt and if you're a comic or a creative or anyone who's had their life put on hold by the pandemic maybe that maybe you can relate to that as well rudderless and not knowing that I had a rudder you know known unknowns and unknown unknowns I didn't know that I didn't have a rudder because without the sort of arguably pretty relentless you must make a new hour of comedy every year that the Edinburgh Festival provides or a tour or whichever festival you go to without that I hadn't realised I hadn't realised how much I had been relying on that for the sake of having a sense of direction. Suddenly everything felt very sort of soupy and gaseous, if something can be both soupy and gaseous. <laughs> Imagine soup, but sublimed. That's when it goes from a liquid straight to a gas, is it? No. Otherwise, I don't know. Uh, imagine gassy soup. This has fallen apart. No, but my point is I was rudderless and I didn't realise I was rudderless because I had no deadline. So, I mean, that's a dumb, obvious thing, but it certainly wasn't obvious enough that I noticed it in the last 18 months. So I've got a thing to work towards now and uh, it's a really exciting time. So you can expect to hear a lot more about that as we go. Edinburgh, right? I was going to go up there anyway for a few days just to see if anything was happening. And if not, maybe go to the castle for the first time in 20... 28 years now, 29 years maybe. Um, uh, Oh God, yes, the pandemic has accelerated me towards 30 years of the Edinburgh Festival in a way that I hadn't really wanted it to. Um, So I was going to go up there anyway, and now I hope and nothing's announced, but I might also be going up there with the chance to do a show or two. Enough said about that. But are you going up? Shall we have spreadsheet day? Someone in the Facebook uh, ComCom group suggested that we please have uh, spreadsheet day. Um, But I think that could be too painful for too many people. But maybe we'll do a sort of pretend spreadsheet day. I believe on the 1st of July, which I think now is, well, at the time of recording, at the time of listening, is in the past. Um, uh, On the 1st of July, uh, edfringe.com are going to announce they're going to launch whatever there is to be launched. And that's the point at which we'll find out whether 20 comics are are physically going to be in town or 200, or wouldn't that be a pullback and reveal? Oh, it's everyone that's normally going. Everyone has planned to go in some form and has kept quiet about it, and it's just going to be the exact same festival. I shudder. So um, that's that's very exciting. It's nice to have that on the horizon. And then some other little nuggets that occurred to me recently. I mentioned obliquely in the, um, uh, in the mail shot that the other reason I hadn't banged on too much about stand-up 
is that I've sort of realised I'm much more interested in freedom than stardom. That sort of sits quite nicely and poetically. It doesn't make sense as a meme unless you unpack it, though. So that's going nowhere. But um, what an exciting thing to go. Oh, like I, I did these gigs. I mentioned them in the last post amble. I did these gigs, one of which was um, one of which was a sort of very free form 40 minute headline slot in a club, in a theatre. And one was emceeing a comedy club on a Saturday night. And I enjoyed the freeform thing so much more than the emceeing. And I realised why. And it's one of those things you only realise when you've had a huge break from something. You've ever written half a novel and then taken a year and a half off and come back to it and gone, oh, those were all the problems. I talk about this a lot. You come back from Edinburgh, you do your show. And it's by October, you've, made, you've naturally made all of the instinctive decisions you should have made in June. Um, but for me, rec- seeing those two things next to one another after a bit of, you know, with a bit of distance, made me go, oh, this is why I enjoyed the freeform stuff more, because it's the freedom that I prize. It's the freedom that I crave. It's the freedom that, for me, is the whole point. Not not simply the freedom from having a real job, but the creative freedom. Like, as soon as I get a bit that really works, and I'm not laying claim to have had millions of those bits over the years, but hey, I've had some good bits. You can listen to some of them on Bandcamp if you pay, um, or Spotify if you don't want to. I've had some good chunks, some good bits. But... As soon as a bit is good and works, it's less interesting to me than free-falling from one idea to another and trying to fashion a new, a new good bit. So I suppose I've sort of been aware of that for a while. You've probably heard me realise it in stuttering stages over the last few years of these. But to actually really be confronted by it and go, oh, that isn't bad. That isn't a bad thing. That's simply an artistic preference. I really love stand-up, but my favourite bit is when... I don't know what's coming out next and it makes me laugh. And those are the, that's the difference. It felt like, the, the theatre gig felt like the second half of one of my tour shows where I very brazenly say, right, that's the show out of the way. Now it's an interval. In the second half, I'm just going to fuck about for an hour. And I don't just mean fuck about. What I mean is I'm going to put my little squirrel wingsuit on and try and jump from one idea to another. And you can see me fly or fail and both will be good. So, um, so that was satisfying. That's good, isn't it? Also, Moscow, this is good. Uh, Jeremy, hello, Jeremy, podcast listener, uh, post-amble preferrer in some cases, um, and also time management, project management guru, um, told me about this thing, Moscow, which is when you divide all of the tasks that you have on your plate into must be done, uh, mos- should, should be, <laughs> yeah, cool guy, must be done, should be done, could be done and won't be done. And just using that as a bit of a matrix to divide up all your stuff. And I think my temptation I discovered in chatting to Jeremy for a long time is that things that could be done often end up as musts or shoulds. And that'll completely screw you up because who's got time to do all of the musts, coulds and shoulds? The musts, shoulds and coulds. You've only got time to do the musts. That's why they're musts. So, um, so that was useful. So have a look at that. Google the word Moscow <laughs> uh, minus Kremlin and you might be uh, approaching the, uh, the right kind of area. I feel like there's loads more to talk to you about. I'm so happy at the moment. I'm so happy. And it, it's partly it's just because I've got no, nothing in this week, which is a sort of anxiety hook. And I've got some gigs at the end of it. By the time you hear this, they'll be done, I'm afraid. But I'm at uh, the Roffle Comedy Clubs in Derby in Newcastle under Lyme. And it's two doubles. It's like an old school Friday and Saturday night of four gigs. And um, I cannot wait to do them. So that's very exciting. But it's not just the gigs. It's not just the sort of lack of anxiety inducing things. It's not just the better project management. 
It's, oh, it's bloody therapy, isn't it? Oh, great, great therapy. Get therapy, everyone. If you can't afford therapy, do crime, get therapy. Not brilliant advice. God, did you see time? That'll keep you off crime, won't it? Oh, my God. Um, but the therapy stuff has been really... It was difficult. Remember me saying months ago, oh, this is difficult. Don't know if it's working. Now, or maybe I didn't say that because I was too busy thinking it internally. Now, it's, I'm like, oh, seismic. Oh, what's the seismic? Seismic's often pertaining to uh, tectonic plates and stuff, but seismic sort of suggests ruptures. But these are just, these aren't ruptures. This is a smoothening. This is like the opposite. This is like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know where I'm going. <laughs> I'm basically doing a lot of miming here that you can't see. But you know the, the seismic thing we think of are like fault lines where tectonic plates hit each other. This is like tectonic plates that are gradually smoothing away from one another. And what a treat. So do crime, get therapy. That's the message. Goodbye forever. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.